Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good, live from Iowa Catholic Radio's Mercy Live Up Studios. Hello, beautiful people of Des Moines and beyond. Uh, my name is Katie Patrizia. I'm here filling in for Bo Bonner. This is The Uncommon Good coming to you live. Uh, not to worry, though, Dr. Bud Marr is still uh, joining us all the way from Pittsburgh via that beautiful invention of Alexander Graham Bell, the telephone. <laughs> Although if it's a cell phone, I don't know if that counts anymore. Bud, are you there? I'm here. It's great to have you on today, Katie. Uh, you've got a big microphone to fill. Yeah, that is very true. <laughs> we were talking about uh, just now if I was going to come on and say, the uncommon good is on there. Uh, but I decided to take a different take with it. Yeah. Yeah, with Bo at the start of the show, it's kind of it's reminiscent of um, a football introduction where you've got the fog machine going <laughs> and strobe lights and just, you know, he brings a uh, Brings it full force, but I thought you gave a very authentic Katie, Katie Patrizio introduction this morning. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, hopefully you could hear the ocean waves or whatever people think of when they <laughs> That's hear the right. voice. Um, but we were wondering, Bud, so, um, you know, Bo told us or told me that he was on vacation, and I was thinking about it. I, I never got from him where exactly he was going on vacation. Um, and if it's Oklahoma, I'm not sure that that counts although maybe we can't air this segment on Oklahoma radio now. And then Tony was wondering, I, you know, is he is he doing jail time? No. <laughs> well, I wouldn't put that past, though. When, um, when I talked to him yesterday evening, it sounded like there were kids screaming in the background. So I think he, he was on the road with his children. Um, but, yeah, we might have to edit out that last comment you made about Oklahoma because we have a presence there now on the radio. Beautiful, wonderful. Well, Bo also told me that um, our listeners, your listeners, were very interested in getting some background on, you know, what you guys do. So you started when you start your shows, um, you know, giving your job titles. And so, Bud, you're no longer here in Des Moines, which is very sad. You're out there in Pittsburgh, and you're the director of the National Institute for Newman Studies, right? Can you tell us a little, little tiny bit about, like, what you do out there? Sure. The, the National Institute for Newman Studies is a mouthful, but it's, I mean, embedded in there is the name of, of John Henry Newman, Blessed Newman. He was a really important um, 19th century Catholic priest and theologian. If you've ever been to or attended a public university, the Catholic Student Center is often named the Newman Center in honor of Blessed Newman. But really at, at the Newman Institute here in Pittsburgh, we're dedicated to um, helping to spread the, the thought of Newman by encouraging scholars and lay people to engage and, and write about his theology. So in a nutshell, that's, that's what we do here at the Newman Institute. So, and you wrote like your dissertation on Newman, right? He's kind of your your main guy. Uh, are, is this your dream job? Well, I, I've been telling people only Newman could get me to move out of the Midwest because I, I grew up in, in uh, Nebraska. I really came to love Iowa. So it was a very like um, sad time in a way for our family, but also exciting to be out here. Um, that, I think Newman's soon to be canonized, so it's kind of an exciting time to be working on this stuff. But I've loved having this concrete connection with the radio show to still connect with uh, Iowa Catholics. 
Yeah, well, we love having your voice still floating through the state. And I thought I heard that <laughs> Freudian slip there that you almost said you were born in Iowa. So be careful. Um, you might I know. have been well, here too long. Growing up, yeah, growing up in Omaha, like our perception of Iowa was Council Bluff, which isn't really <laughs> fair. So we we had jokes like, what do you do when an Iowan tosses a grenade across the Missouri River? You pull out the pen and throw it back. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, uh after living in Des Moines in three years, and that, to me, Des Moines, you know, that's the, that's the heart of Iowa. You, know, you live in Ames right up the road, or work in Ames. And it's just a, it's a wonderful part of the state with a lot of wonderful people. I, I found that I like Cyclone fans better than Hawkeye fans, but I do make exceptions and occasionally befriend a Hawkeye. Oh, boy. Well, we won't let that get too far. Um, well, so my, you know, my background is not super exciting in this situation. I'm the director of faith formation at St. Cecilia's, but I'm just filling in, although, um, I am about to join the ranks of you and, uh, Bo, if I pass my drug test this afternoon, I'll be joining the adjunct faculty there at Mercy College, which is a wonderful segue to our underwriters. Yeah, we're supported on the show by Mercy College. A wonderful place to study and to work. Congratulations on that new position. Uh, their website is mchs.edu. I think when you think about, you know, going into some sort of, like, pursuing a college degree, it can be daunting these days. I think the great thing about studying something like nursing or, or becoming a medical assistant is really there there is a job at the end of that tunnel because uh, our state and our country are in, are in deep need of nurses and other kinds of medical professionals. Um, I taught for a few years at Mercy, still adjunct some. So Mercy College of Health Science is a great presence right there in the heart of Des Moines. Now, speaking of um, pulling pins out and throwing them back, uh, Cartridge World is also an underwriter of the show, but they should not be confused with, like, an ammunition store, right? <laughs> Cartridge World is at 801 73rd Street in Windsor Heights. Their phone is 515-564-7400. I know they're they're there for all your printing needs. They're committed to environmental sustainability. And for business customers, pickup and delivery are available. So a lot of great things going on at Cartridge World as well. Well, wonderful. Um, we've got, I think, a really good show coming on. I mean, this is basically my first show. I've come on as a guest, but my first show ever hosting on radio. So I'm excited for it. We'll have, in just a few moments, uh, Maury Wills joining us, uh, talking about, we're going to have a conversation about agriculture and uh, and food. You guys love to talk about food, so I thought this would really work out well. Maury is the Agricultural Diversification and Market Development Bureau Chief for the Iowa Department of Agriculture, as well as owner-operator of Will's Family Orchard. So we will be back here live in the studio with Maury in just a few minutes. So this is probably the segment that I've been most looking forward to doing because we have these uh, these awesome sound effects that go along with it. I'm about to talk about the Zip Whip. <laughs> yes. So the Zip Whip is our um, live text line. You can text in, and I think I see one coming in already, which is fantastic. Um, text in comments, questions, anything you want. I actually want to see if, like, emojis come in. So people, text us your emojis. Bud, what do you like to see on the <clears throat> Zip Whip line? Yeah, the Zip Whip line, there's a lot of great opportunities today. If you've got any orchard-related questions, anything related to food, um, Last week we talked about movies, so that was fun to interact with uh, our listeners. But um, I would encourage, uh, grab your kids this morning, you know, like we're talking orchards. Who doesn't like orchards? 
Very true. 515-223-1150. 515-223-1150. That is our Zip Whip line. We will be back after these messages. Rock Valley Physical Therapy, dedicated to your health and well-being. Serving patient needs to making better lives, we have outstanding outpatient physical therapy, occupational hand therapy, and sports medicine rehabilitation. Rock Valley offers unprecedented one-on-one care. With seven convenient locations in the Des Moines metro to the southwest Iowa area, we serve the entire diocese. For more information, rockvalleypt.com or 515-221-1621. Rock Valley Physical Therapy, making better lives. Programming support for Catholic Women Now is provided by Iowa's injury attorney, Fred Haas. For over 30 years, Fred Haas has helped injured Iowans recover financial, physical, and emotional losses from car, truck, and motorcycle accidents, work-related injuries, and injuries due to negligence. Most importantly, providing the professional, personal, and responsive legal counsel that everyone deserves. Fred, double D, Haas, double A, the Des Moines Law Offices of Fred Haas. While we have time, let us do good. Support for The Uncommon Good is provided by Cartridge World. Cartridge World is an industry leader delivering high-performance printing products that help you save time, money, and print great. Perfect for businesses, home offices, college students, or busy moms trying to find affordable printing supplies including ink, toner, paper, or printers. For business customers, pickup and delivery are available. Products are guaranteed or full replacement. Cartridge World, your low-cost, environmentally friendly printing experts, 801 73rd Street in Windsor Heights, 515-564-7400 and online at cartridgeworld.com. CTI Ready Mix has been serving Central Iowa since 2004. With 50 mixer trucks and five locations in the Des Moines area, they can supply even the largest projects. CTI Ready Mix, 515-276-9567. Online at cti-ia.net. We are back with the Uncommon Good live from Iowa Catholic Radio's Mercy Live Up Studios. I am Katie Patrizio filling in for Bo Bonner. Not to worry, though. Dr. Bud Marr is still on the line with us. Uh, joining us today in studios, our guest, Maury Wills. Maury is the Agricultural Diversification and Market Development Bureau Chief for the Iowa Department of Agriculture, as well as the owner and operator of Wills Family Orchard right here in Adel, Iowa. Maury, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you, Katie. It's great to be here. Um, so I know a little bit about your, about your background, which is that you did not grow up in rural Iowa. In fact, you did not grow up on a farm. You grew up in suburban Des Moines on the south side, right? So my first question for you is, like, what in the world made you get into farming? Yeah, I'm a city boy. As much as you can consider Des Moines a big city, it's really not. But um, I grew up with a grandmother who uh, grew vegetables on the south side of Des Moines. I grew up at St. Anthony's there, and uh, she was from Italy. And uh, I learned a lot about tomatoes and peppers and basil and all kinds of things and just started to develop a love for that. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Um, so we, well, I thought um, the guys kind of left me high and dry. Not really, not really. But they invited me on and then like didn't find me a guest. So we brought you on, Maury. And um, the thought is, you know, the guys here have this show, The Uncommon Good, which is about they explore topics of the common good that, you know, maybe the common good is a little bit uncommon. And so food here and uh, specifically how we grow food, agriculture, I think really fits into that topic. Um, and here in Iowa, there can be a lot of debates about, you know, agriculture, the best way to grow food, um, all that jazz. And you grow food in a very particular kind of 
way on your orchard. Can you give us a little bit of background about uh, your orchard, how you grow food? And then if you want, throw in a little bit of background about your work there because you had a real long job title. Sure. So, yeah, so um, we have an organic certification program at the Iowa Department of Agriculture. And this actually, the Iowa Department of Ag um, is a state program, but this is a federally regulated term, organic is. And so we are accredited by the United States Department of Agriculture to go ahead and provide organic certification services in the state. And there are about 80 certifiers around the country, and several of them operate in the state as well. But we're the largest here in the state. And so the term means something different than how we usually use the word organic and, you know, organic chemistry and so on. So it is, like I say, federally regulated. So we go out and we certify about 300 plus uh, organic farms in the state and food and feed processors as well. I happen to have an organic uh, apple orchard, certified organic, and uh, don't certify our own orchard because that would be a conflict of interest. So we bring in a private certifier to do that. And so the organic program has been around since about 2002, and we have been managing our apple orchard um, organically from the beginning when we started in 1993. We didn't know where all this was going to go, but that's where we've gone. Maury, this is Bud Maury. Thanks so much for being on. Um, when you're talking about uh, organic farming, my mind goes to the concrete decisions that my family makes, like on a weekly, biweekly basis. When I'm in the grocery store, um, should I be looking for organic options? Like, what's at stake when I when I go to buy my food? Sure. I mean, I think quite a bit is at stake, actually. You know, people are really interested in, one, uh, locally grown food. Two, is it pesticide-free? Um, and organic is probably the best recognized label uh, that will help a consumer determine that uh, pesticides are highly regulated here and the residue is perhaps very low to non-existent on those foods. So foods like apples and strawberries, you know, you've probably seen some of these lists, the Dirty Dozen, that explains that, you know, these particular foods happen to be high in chemical residue, and so you want to choose organic for those foods. So, again, strawberries, one of those foods where it's highly porous, and, uh, you know, you can rinse these foods, but, uh, you know, you're not necessarily going to uh, wash all the residue off of these foods. But now that's not mm -hmm. to say that the conventionally grown foods are, you know, totally unsafe or anything like that. But if you are very conscious about it, then I would say look for organic, look for the label that says certified organic, and uh, I think that would be a, a good way to go. And the other thing, too, that I might add is it's not just about the consumer buying the food that might be um, you know, more residue-free, let's say, for example, but also you're, you're buying something that uh, in the, on the farm itself where farmers aren't spraying some of these pesticides. So you're contributing to the environment as well. Mm. Now, Maury, for you in choosing to, you know, grow organic apples and have this orchard, um, was mm. it was it more of a decision on the part of the consumer, like you wanted to contribute to the organic market, if you will, or was it more of a decision of how you wanted to 
grow and how you wanted to farm, or maybe it was a little bit of both. Right. It was a little bit of both. My wife and I uh, really kind of thought through this quite a bit in the early stages. Uh, My wife is a dairy farmer's daughter, and so she understands the whole farming system much better than I did many years ago. Uh, First thing in the morning, she usually turns on the weather. She wants to know what's going on so she can prioritize her day. And uh, so we thought about what kind of agricultural enterprise we might get involved with. And so there's kind of a whole story as to how we got uh, interested in what we're doing now. But uh, bottom line is I didn't know how to grow apples, period. And so I thought if I'm going to start, I'm going to start by going organic than conventionally. And so in those days, so we're talking about uh, the early 1990s, And, uh, you know, this is kind of prior to getting on the Internet and finding anything you can find nowadays. So I spent a lot of time at the library, and I looked to see how apples were raised uh, prior to World War II. Because it was really after World War II and and a lot of chemical development around World War II uh, kind of brought in a lot of chemicals into the agricultural world. So I wanted to know how they did it before that. And, you know, it wasn't perfect, uh, wasn't necessarily uh, poison-free or chemical-free, but it was different than what we do now. And so I learned quite a little bit. And um, so we decided, hey, this is how we're going to do it. And it's been a learning process and continues to be a learning process today. Maury, this is stepping back a bit, but uh, I I was recently rereading parts of the Old Testament, and I was struck in Scripture um, how much humanity's relationship to the land comes up. I mean, obviously, with our first parents in the fall, it's a it's it's through a process of eating, you know, that I um, that the fall takes place. But then, you know, as the story moves on, um, it seems to me like cities and development of, of cities and technology is certainly seen as a mixed blessing, if not worse. And as, as Israel, I think, moves further away from God, uh, you can see the impact that it has on the land. I guess I mean that's uh, I, I'm kind of throwing a lot out there, but with you, as you've moved into farming and working in orchards, how would you say that it's impact even your understanding of the faith and, uh, and how you think about God and your relationship to God? Right. So good question. You know, I, um, you know, working here at the Department of Ag in Des Moines and living out where we do in Dallas County, about 30 miles away, <clears throat> I do a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of drive time there to either think through things or listen to podcasts and so on. I also have a lot of tractor time and can think through things. And just the other day, I was out uh, mowing an area, preparing a, a plot where we want to plant uh, some uh, garden products. And a hawk flew down and uh, snagged a snake and flew back up into the tree. And I watched the hawk, you know, kind of devour this this snake. Uh, the day before, when I was out mowing a different field, and I'm guessing it was probably the same hawk, I saw a mouse uh, crawl across the ground, you know, as I'm uncovering uh, the ground by mowing. And uh, the hawk was just just a couple feet above my head and swooped down and grabbed this mouse and went up on a big post and, again, started to devour the mouse. And so I start thinking, you know, just this whole idea, this cycle of life and one thing preys upon another and so on. And so I think, you know, questions come to mind. You know, what is what is food? And, uh, you know, you look around your environment and you think about the various things we have appropriated for ourselves that we call food. But 
outside of mother's milk, we're kind of left to just kind of figure out what is food, you know. And so I think that's just kind of an interesting concept that uh, nothing else in our environment really speaks to us as far as what is food. You know, we're told that we can eat, you know, the, the plants and so on and the animals in the fields and those kinds of things. And we do. But if we're in a in Africa, we might uh, choose to eat certain foods. If we're on the coast, we might choose to eat certain foods. And so there's a lot in nature that gives us pause, uh, things that we can reflect on about our faith. And uh, I find it very interesting and exciting. I, um, uh, Bud, when you jump in with Scripture, uh, my mind goes everywhere, as you can imagine. And yeah. so, um, yeah, I'm reflecting on this topic as well, getting ready for this morning. Uh, I was thinking about how... Um, this topic of agriculture and farming really goes to the heart, I think, of who we are as people. And I don't say that just because I'm in Iowa and I'm on the radio and I want to endear myself to the people. But if you look to scripture, um, and I just was doing this with a class that I'm teaching a few weeks ago, um, God on the first pages of scripture, I mean, it tells us that he planted the garden in Eden. And so God himself is the first gardener. He's the first kind of farmer. And then he passes this on to us. So he tells Adam to till and to keep the garden. And then, and we will see this pass on Cain and Abel will both be called um, tillers and keepers of the garden. And um, I always try to stress when I teach on this topic that um, not only is, is there something really intrinsic to us about working the land, but also just work in general. And, um, and when we pay attention to the scripture text, we notice that work and the, the command to work is given prior to the fall. And I think the way that we approach work a lot of times is that it's something that we have to do um, as a ramification of the fall. And I can imagine, I mean, I've, I've helped out, um, in, you know, certain aspects of farming on various occasions, but I can just imagine that you can either approach, um, farming, which is, which is a lot of work and a lot of labor, um, contrary to most of our desk jobs today. And you could approach that either with a sense that you are getting down to, what is really at the heart of how you were created as a human person to labor um, in love and enjoy, or you can look at it as just a total uh, a, a total imposition um, that uh, has been placed upon us. And I find your situation more interesting because you have this day job at the Department of Agriculture, and then in your free time, you've decided to have this pretty large, I mean, it's a small farm by Iowa standards, but um, you know, you've got several acres, uh, not just of apples, but lots of different things. And then not only that, but you open your farm up to people um, in the fall, and it's a lot of work for you. So what um, what makes you decide, what made you decide uh, day after day to spend your free time after your day job doing more work um, when so many people would just rather, you know, watch the football game? Right. So you are right. And I'd love to kind of be in the house and watch the football game, too, from time to time. And there are a lot of sacrifices. And but there are so many uh, great things that you can get out of working on a farm. And it is hard, hard work. And of course, that hard work has spawned a lot of you know different technological advances and so on. But the work has really allowed us to work together as a family. 
and it has allowed us to really exercise faith and stretch us, even when we don't really want to exercise our faith, you know, and hope. So here recently, we were hoping to plant our five acres of pumpkins, and day after day, we'd get a rain, and then we couldn't get in the field. And so, again, an exercise in faith and hope, and we finally got those planted, and then the rain came again, and the pumpkins start to come up. And so there's great reward in that. And I remember one day, um, you know, we have 62 acres out there in Dallas County, and it's a it's a hilly, beautiful area. And um, so when we first moved out, we purchased about 30, 32 acres. And uh, the land to the north of us, the hill kind of rises up to the north there, and uh, it was a horse pasture, and there was barbed wire in between the land that we had purchased and the land right next door. And so from time to time, you know, we would take a walk up there. And I remember one time where I had uh, mentioned to my wife, to Mary, I said, let's take a walk up here. Now, don't look back. Just don't don't look back until I tell you. So we went way up to the top of the hill and then turned around. And the view was just magnificent. And it overlooks the Raccoon River Valley and, and just really beautiful. And so we thought, you know, we're only two people. Other people need to see this. Other people need to enjoy it. We can't take in all of the beauty that's here. And so, you know, in a day and age when people spend so much time, you know, on computers and they're plugged in and the phone and so on, and and not that we don't, um, but we just find that this is an opportunity to open our doors, to let people come out here and enjoy the natural beauty. And we let God do the rest because we're not out there, you know, preaching. And sometimes I think just the natural environment preaches louder than words. And so uh, people do come out and, you know, we hear those comments all of the time. And it's nothing that we're doing. All we're doing is, hey, come out here and stand here and go over there and look at that and... And so that's that's why we do it. It's very rewarding to us. Maury, I think when I was uh, listening to your biography, like one thing that stood out to me is uh, you. it sounds like you kind of have your foot in two worlds where you, you're the owner of a small farm or an, or an orchard, and you also work for the Department of Agriculture. So I'm sure you're engaging topics of like, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better phrase, like big ag. Uh, could you talk some for our listeners about like what's at stake with it seems to me like it's important that families continue to farm and you 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 were talking about how the important this has been for your family what's sort of like the um how do small farms in a sense contribute to the common good right so so you're right uh but i am involved in uh you know in an arena where conventional ag so to speak um you know kind of rules the day Fortunately, you know, my work and the programs that I oversee, we're kind of in a bubble there. Um, We're pretty much everything that's not conventional corn and soybeans. But I do bump up to it, uh, you know, quite frequently. And so, you know, as I look at this, I look at the small uh, fruit and vegetable grower, for example, and there's a lot of handwork, a lot of footwork. You're out walking um, and uh, doing a lot of work, which means you can have a lot of interaction with others you're working with. And so on a small farm setting like ours, you know, we've raised six kids. We're still raising kids. And uh, all of them have had a hand in this project. And, 
So when we're out working on the farm, we're not just talking about uh, the orchard or pruning or how to prune, but we're also talking about some of life's questions. And that's an excellent way, I think, to raise your kids. And so you're contributing uh, to your family. You're contributing to society. And the one thing, you know, a couple of things that, that kind of – uh, maybe sorrow is too big a word here, but, you know, when I look at conventional ag, uh, there's a lot of um, individual work, you know, where you're in a tractor and you're planting seed and you're covering hundreds and hundreds of acres. And you're really not interacting quite as much with your family or friends and, and that kind of thing. You're not necessarily welcoming people onto your farm. And as we have grown in agriculture, we have fewer and fewer farmers. And as we have fewer and fewer farmers, we have uh, more and more urban sprawl, and we have uh, kind of the demise of some of the rural schools and rural stores and so on. So we have to think about the ramifications of, uh, you know, with larger conventional lag in terms of what that means to our society. Um, our guest with us today is Maury Wells, the Agricultural Diversification and Market Development Bureau Chief for the Iowa Department of Agriculture, as well as owner-operator of Will's Family Orchard. Um, I got, as I requested, at least one uh, text message with um, emojis of corn and chicken and eggs. I love it. So uh, text us <laughs> if you have any questions or comments. Uh, I challenge you to ask us a question in all emojis if you can. Uh, that is 515-223-1150, 515-223-1150. There's so much more that we can talk about. Um, I think for one, especially uh, coming off of um, what you just commented on, Maury, um, I, I wonder if you have any tips for us on how we can have these conversations that can be sometimes difficult. I'm sure you've had lots of practice having conversations about um, big agriculture and just agriculture in general. But we're coming up on the break here. Uh, so we're going to take a few minutes uh, for some messages from our underwriters and what have you. But we will be back uh, with the Uncommon Good uh, live here in the Mercy Live Up studios. I am Katie Patrizio. Filling in for Bo Bonner and Dr. Budmar is on the line. With us, Maury Wills is our guest, and we are talking about agriculture. If you want to stay in touch with us, even when we are not on the air or you are not in your car or listening on your app to Iowa Catholic Radio, there are multiple ways that you can do that. Uh, Facebook, find us on Facebook, Iowa Catholic Radio. We're also on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at IA Catholic Radio. Uh, if you want to keep updated uh, on uh, the goings on here with the studio, you can go to our website, www.iowacatholicradio.com. Uh, hit the subscribe button and you will get our in tune biweekly newsletter. Um, also, as I keep saying, we have our Zip Whip line. Yes, Jeb was ready with that. Uh, 515-223-1150. Um, and if, even if we are not on the air, uh, Bo and Bud, you want to drop them a comment or a question, um, you can use that line. Just use the hashtag UCG. So that's the zip whip line. 515-223-1150. Hashtag UCG. 
Rock Valley Physical Therapy, dedicated to your health and well-being. Serving patient needs to making better lives, we have outstanding outpatient physical therapy, occupational hand therapy, and sports medicine rehabilitation. Rock Valley offers unprecedented one-on-one care. With seven convenient locations in the Des Moines metro to the southwest Iowa area, we serve the entire diocese. For more information, rockvalleypt.com or 515-221-1621. Rock Valley Physical Therapy, making better lives. CTI Ready Mix has been serving Central Iowa since 2004. With 50 mixer trucks and five locations in the Des Moines area, they can supply even the largest projects. CTI Ready Mix, 515-276-9567. Online at cti-ia.net. Support for The Uncommon Good is provided by Cartridge World. Cartridge World is an industry leader delivering high-performance printing products that help you save time, money, and print great. Perfect for businesses, home offices, college students, or busy moms trying to find affordable printing supplies including ink, toner, paper, or printers. For business customers, pickup and delivery are available. Products are guaranteed or full replacement. Cartridge World, your low-cost, environmentally friendly printing experts, 801 73rd Street in Windsor Heights, 515-564-7400, and online at cartridgeworld.com. Since 1924, St. Vincent de Paul has been helping those less fortunate work towards self-sufficiency. Last year, St. Vincent de Paul helped over 20,000 individuals with food, clothing, and shelter, while also offering classes in financial literacy, high school completion, career readiness, and prisoner re-entry. SVDPDSM.org, 515-282-8327. Shop, donate, volunteer, serve. This message was brought to you by Homemakers Furniture. We are back with the Uncommon Good. I am Katie Patrizio filling in for Bo Bonner. Dr. Bud Marr is still online with me, so not to worry. We have in studio with us our guest today, Maury Wills, Agricultural Diversification and Market Development Bureau Chief for the Iowa Department of Agriculture, as well as owner-operator of Will's Family Orchard. We've been having a great conversation about food, about agriculture, about work, about who we are as human beings. Um, and I kind of left off hoping that we could go into the second segment um, talking about uh, talking, talking about talking, how you have uh, a conversation about agriculture um, in a helpful way. So I am still kind of new to this because I come from California where, um, um, organic food and small farming and farmers markets and stuff is kind of, everyone's kind of in agreement overall that if there's, you know, one best way to farm, it should be this way. And, you know, there could be multiple reasons for that. You know, we're accused of being, you know, granola eaters and all that jazz. Although lately we've been smoking a lot of weed, I guess. So I don't know how intelligent we are of late there in California. Um, But Maury, you have these questions all the time. I'm sure in your work. And so what are some tips, if only for me in particular, a transplant to (laughs) Iowa to not stick my foot in my mouth, because we do want to respect our farmers, even our big farmers, you know, our big row crop farmers. And so how do you have that conversation? Sure. It's a great, great question, Katie. So, yeah, and I've received all of those calls, you know, sitting at the Iowa Department of Agriculture, and I've received calls from the conventional side, you know, complaining about the organic side and vice versa, that kind of thing. And I think we want to start by saying that, uh, you know, we have, I believe, the most robust food system in the world and that the world has ever known. 
And so the fact that we have transportation where we can get food from even one country to another and rather quickly while it's still fresh, we have refrigeration and freezers, you know, things we didn't have, we could have only dreamed of, you know, back in the 1940s and 20s and earlier. And so so we do have a great food system, and it's the safest food system in the world. I know we do have issues from time to time, and we have recently here with cantaloupe again. But uh, so I think there's a great trust in our food system. And, you know, just to break this down a little bit, uh, what we see here in the countryside in Iowa, we see primarily corn and soybeans. You drive down a highway, you can't help but see the corn and soybeans. You know, in the wintertime, you're seeing the stubble and so on. So you know what was grown there. And, you know, the hogs that are raised here, uh, you know, Iowa is number one in hog production, you know, layer production, egg laying, um, uh, broiler, uh, broilers too. And so uh, Iowa is a big player in agriculture, and so that's not going to go away. So we do need to understand how to talk with each other and, and uh, how to work this out. Now, I think the smaller farmer, the fruit and vegetable producer, they are growing food directly for the consumer, where the corn and soybeans are grown for feed or food ingredients or fuel. And so it really is a different mentality. And so there's a lot more touch, a lot more culture uh, with growing fruits and vegetables than there is now with conventional uh, crops, because much of that is done from the seed of a tractor, whether you're spraying or whether you're, um, you know, planting and so on. And so... Um, I think that uh, what we need to understand here is that um, organic represents one way uh, to farm, and uh, the conventional uh, uh, way of uh, growing crops is another way. But uh, what I'd like to see is uh, would be have conventional growers scoot a little closer, you know, to to the organic side. Not necessarily to to convert their whole farm, but maybe convert 100 acres, something like that. And we do see that. We see where uh, some are willing to do that. And uh, to also explain to them, it's not necessarily, you know, the the hippy-dippy thing to do that, uh, you know, a lot of people attach to organic. There are some mainstream Iowa farmers that are anything but that. Uh, and not that I'm, you know, casting aspersions on, on those folks who are back to landers and that kind of thing. I am just saying that uh, we need to get past some of these terms and get past some of the um, polarization that's occurred. Well, Maury, with um, with Katie's lead-in after the break, it called to mind for me how how many complex ethical issues are involved with uh, raising, with growing, and selling food. And I personally try not to be too dogmatic because I'm not on the front line, so to speak, with these questions. But I know another topic that sometimes can be very controversial has to do with like how we harvest and process our food. Um, I'll be honest, I have some ignorance here. Like in Iowa, uh, are there a lot of seasonal workers who who are involved in harvesting food? And what are some of the the challenges of like recruiting and um, paying uh, workers who pick and process food? Right. So in Iowa, there's not a lot of what you might uh, consider as migrant type uh, workers, seasonal workers. There used to be a bit more, you know, Iowa uh, back in the early part of the last century was a big player in terms of uh, apple production. And, um, you know, we ranked uh, pretty high uh, back in uh, around 1911 and so on. And then we migrated out of that. And so at that time, we did have, uh, you know, some more uh, seasonal workers. So now the challenge is, 
that uh, these local smaller farms, they're big enough to need a lot of labor, but small enough Mm -hmm. that they can't really recruit, uh, you know, the migrant labor folks. And so uh, it's very hard these days. You know, when I was a kid growing up, um, you know, things weren't so organized in terms of outdoor activities. You know, you could go from door to door and, and get your buddies together and go play baseball and so on. Well, nowadays, everybody's kind of locked in their home doing their own thing. And so to get you know, to pull those young people out of their homes and away from the electronics and so on is a little bit different, difficult. And uh, so, yeah, you rely a lot on uh, on family and friends and part-time folks and try to pay them, uh, you know, what you can afford uh, to pay them so that it's worthwhile for them and, and works for you. Well, when I, was, when I was around 15, one of my first jobs was uh, walking beans. And I know some of my friends detasseled corn. Are young people, are those things still sort of around? I feel like if I, uh, if I talked to a teenager in Des Moines today and talked about walking beans, they would have no context for what I was talking about. Uh, correct. And, and my wife has definitely walked beans growing up on the dairy farm. And, and, uh, you know, as far as detasseling corn, walking beans, certainly walking beans is something that's done in the organic world. So the certified organic, uh, corn and soybean operations, um, they do uh, cultivate, but then they bring uh, young people in as they can to walk beans and pull weeds, and that's basically you know what it is. Yeah, you're cool. pulling weeds. Um, as far as detasseling is concerned, yep, there still are hand detasseling crews. There's other ways to do that as well, but yeah, that's that's still going on too. Uh, Maury, when you were talking a little bit ago about, um, you use this phrase, I'm not going to be able to quote it directly, but that you wish that the organic farmers would get a little bit closer to uh, the conventional farmers, you know, and conventional and vice versa, that um, you're not necessarily wanting, we're not necessarily wanting all conventional farming to turn organic or what have you. Um, And that... um, just makes me think of, um, you know, the fact that, not to wax too theological, but the fact that when Jesus came um, and instituted the new law, um, you know, it's very much in contrast to the old law of, say, you know, like Leviticus and Deuteronomy, which is very, very prescriptive and uh, lots and lots of very particular rules about all kinds of things and even food. You know, some of the laws that we're most familiar with as non-Jews are the kosher laws, you know. Um, and uh, when Jesus came, not only did he get rid of kosher law, um, but he instituted even a moral law that was very, very simple. And it was basically just love one another. And it's interesting because um, I think as human beings, um, just because of who we are and in our fallen nature, we do need some higher authority. Um, oftentimes that's government um, kind of giving us uh, prescriptive Um, rules uh, for certain things. So, you know, you in your day-to-day work uh, do this, you're enforcing, or maybe I shouldn't say enforcing, but you're, you're working with these prescriptive rules, these laws that the government has engaged with. And, and yet at the same time, if, um, if we could all in our own lives, and if we're farmers um, in our work, if we could all look at, um, just getting at doing a small thing that might be possible to to grow food better 
um, to to help the economy uh, better because this conversation is not even just about food. We're talking about um, yeah about the economy, about government. Um, if we can uh, if we can uh, in our own individual actions, maybe even apart from the prescriptive rules of government, just decide to to farm a little bit better. How much, uh, how much better could things be? And I see so much of the, the spirit of the gospel in that message, and also just the notion of um, subsidiarity with the, which the church is always um, very much in favor of. So um, that was just a, a sort of comment, I guess I had that in my thoughts here as we're having this conversation. Question though: How can people, especially if they're hearing us talk about, um, you know, kids? Uh, Bud was just bringing up walking beans and detasseling and stuff. Um, we most of us live in urban, suburban areas. Um, how can? What is your suggestion for allowing people to to kind of get back to the land, to get back to who we are as human beings, um, and uh, and and sort of fulfill those. Uh, prescriptions to work that God has given us that came even before the fall. Do you have any suggestions for folks in urban Des Moines or wherever we are? Right. That's a great, great question. Uh, you know, one of the, um, one of the fun things about having a, um, you know, pumpkin and orchard operation like we do is that here in Iowa, you know, that's a, that's a specialty, right? That's, that's something totally different, totally alternative. And so we can, we can have fun with that. If you're in Washington state uh, where they grow 125 million bushels of apples, you know, it's kind of like a commodity, kind of like our corn and beans here. But I, I had a conversation yesterday with an apple grower in, uh, from Missouri and uh, Katie, and you know this project well, thinning apple trees, uh, because Katie's done this uh, work at our place. And so uh, apples like to set a lot of apples on one fruit bud. And so to make the apple that you want uh, large and nice, you need to get rid of the less desirable apples. So you go out there and you either do it with your hand or you do it with a little scissors. And it's very tedious if you're organic. Conventional guys go ahead and spray. Um, but this grower in Missouri, he put out a call on his Facebook. He said, Hey, uh, everybody, I need some help thinning. I'm going to go ahead and, and, um, go ahead and roast a hog and we're going to have a great meal when it's all over. That's going to be kind of your payback. He told me within an hour, he had 30 people sign up to volunteer to come out to his orchard to do this, and they're going to have a blast. And so uh, I think as growers, we need to be a little more courageous, a little more forward, and say, hey, you can join in, just like some of the grape growers have done, you know, to get some help uh, picking grapes and so on. So there are opportunities. That's that's really great, Maureen. Uh, Like. Zoning out or like moving out a bit further, like it feels like every few years in the public discourse, I hear this term of like a farm bill coming up. Uh, where do we stand legislatively? Should should Iowans be involved in those processes? Are subsidies good or bad things? Um, are you involved in the legislative process, and what does that look like? Well, on that side of thing, on the conventional side, I'm not. Um, from time to time, I, time, I uh, peek in to see what's going on. Subsidies have been here for a long time. Subsidies, um, you know, they, they fight it all the time, and, and uh, there are those who want to remove it. But, the you know, there's a lot of uh, 
big big power behind all of this. So it's very difficult uh, as far as uh, you know removing subsidies and so on. And this is where you know the organic uh, grower, let's say they're growing uh, you know corn and soybeans. And um, they don't get those uh, kinds of subsidies, but they do get a higher premium for their for their crop. And so that's what gives some of the conventional people pause to think, you know, maybe we could do better if we do this organically. And quite honestly, if you're yeah. you can't be a, an organic farmer by uh, neglect, you have to be very very good at it. And some of these folks have. I've done a good job. So, no, I think it's good to participate in that process as best you can. There are a number of kind of watchdog organizations out there. Uh, you have to kind of pick and choose and work your way through. So it's good to look at some of these organizations' summaries as far as what is going on before you kind of really hop in. So it sounds like like the small organic, the sort of thing that you guys do, that's kind of a niche, and you're dealing with a different set of issues, but you can kind of, in a sense, like witness to the big farms about what can be done maybe as a, as a part of, of what they produce. Right, definitely so, yep. Uh, our guest today is Maury Wills, Agricultural Diversification and Market Development Bureau Chief for the Iowa Department of Agriculture, as well as owner-operator of Wills Family Orchard. If you have any questions listening in or comments on the show, please send them to us, uh, 515-223-1150. That's 515-223-1150. Since since Bud just kind of broke the ice and brought up um, like the farm bill. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I I think I think it's safe to just go a little step further and talk about um, a, a pretty big hot button issue, which is the you know the no- the notion of you know the modification of crops. So I'm sure this is something you thought a lot about, Maury, both in you know uh, on your farm as well as in your day job with the Department of Agriculture and. <clears throat> I'm really kind of separated from all that. What I do hear from like the theological and philosophical realm is the debate, you know, uh, about that. So, and in that, that debate really comes down to a debate, a lot of times a debate of nature. And by nature, we don't necessarily mean, you know, trees and grass and that kind of nature. Uh, but we mean nature as in the, the the god-given sort of identity of a thing and so in philosophical debates about agricultural ag, ag, ag today agriculture today there's there's often a lot of discussion about the nature of a thing for example a crop and um and how far it's too far when it comes to modifying a crop um do you have any thoughts on that topic Sure. That is that is a hot button topic for sure. GM crops, GMOs, genetically modified organisms. Of course, uh, you know, in organic farming, it's prohibited. And so that's one of the big, big sharp lines between conventional and organic. And so just as a little background, you know, a GMO crop, for example, let's say genetically modified corn, uh, means that they have inserted uh, some genetic material uh, for a particular trait. And so, for example, uh, most people have heard of Roundup. It's a herbicide. Uh, when the corn uh, receives this trait, you can then spray a herbicide over the corn, killing the grass and weeds around it, but it doesn't hurt the corn. Well, that's really novel. That's, that's really new in our environment. And so this goes back to really the 1990s when all of this kind of got started for the, uh, for the uh, commodity crops. And then they started adding other traits, and you'll hear the term stack traits, where 
Uh, corn also has something in it uh, called BT. And most, almost all conventional corn and beans are genetically modified here in the state and around the country. And so that uh, basically is put in there so that corn root worm or any of those worms that affect uh, like seed uh, worms will die from when they start to consume any part of the plant. So kind of on a moral side or an ethical side, we look at, you know, okay, now we're cons uh, consuming those traits. Now, these traits could not have been put in there. These pieces of genetic material could not have been put in there in a natural way. So when we think of um, uh, natural sort of pollination and doing crossbreeding and so on, we're moving uh, material from one plant uh, you know, to another to bring in that new genetic material. But what I kind of look at is, are we crossing a reproductive uh, barrier line? For example, uh, there's been research done on trying to modify apple trees, and they're going into the gut of a particular moth to extract out some genetic material and then insert it into the rootstock or the cultivar uh, of the apple tree. And so you wonder, you know, that could never have gotten there through normal reproductive or propagation means. And so I think there's plenty here for Catholics to look at and start to think about and educate themselves on and reflect about because we're creating new, uh, we're modifying plants that have been around forever, but, but we're kind of creating a new sort of... Uh, sort of plant. Now, the government regulates all of this and so on, and that's a whole other issue. But uh, I think there's plenty here to really think about. Well, I think in the whole conversation, more there's a lot for us to think about. So we're so grateful that you were willing to come in mm -hmm. and join us today. And um, where can uh, people go to find out more about your work in the orchard and maybe visiting sometime? Sure. So we do have a website, willsfamilyorchard.com. That's W-I-L-L-S, familyorchard.com. We're out in Dallas County. And uh, we get going as far as retail and so on, uh, usually about mid-August. Uh, and then our festival weekends begin the last of September and into October. But, uh, yeah, please look us up, uh, contact us. We have Facebook presence as well, and we'd love to hear from you. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Maury, for coming on You're the show. You're welcome. Um, Bud, does uh, yes. Newman have anything to say about this topic? You know, I think Newman, he was one of those who primarily lived in an urban environment. And so uh, the, the, the ag metaphors or like uh, land metaphors are maybe a little more muted in his writings than you get in some theology. But I, I love the, um, during that first segment, the piece that you had about, about scripture and, and tending the land. And I think really at the very beginning of the Bible, you see that God gives, gives us this kind of priestly role to lift up all the blessings of creation. Um, then, of course, broke that the temple is a partial restoration, but then through Christ uh, uh, we're, we're given um, a restoration of our original vocation. So thanks for bringing Maury on the show for talking about all these matters. I don't know. We're going to have to have a conversation this week and see if uh, maybe you've bumped Buttle from his spot. <laughs> he did tell me not to do too well so that he doesn't, yeah, right. uh, he doesn't get pushed out. The locks will be changed on the studio doors when he comes back, right? <laughs> uh, well, thanks so much for, for letting me join you, bud. This has been uh, a pleasure. Um, you've been listening to the uncommon good live from Iowa Catholic radios, mercy live up studios for Bud Marr and Bo Bonner. I am Katie Patrizio. This has been the uncommon good. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week. 
Uh, so, Bud, um, you miss Des Moines, and one of the things that you probably miss about Des Moines is jumping in your car, turning on the radio, and listening to 11.50 a.m. Iowa Catholic Radio. So tell our listeners, you know, maybe they tune in regularly to this show, but what else might they be missing out on if they're not tuning in? I still love having the website and being able to stream, stream the station because uh, Iowa Catholic Radio not only has great programs where we talk about the faith, but also the show's programming is bathed in prayer. Um, at 5 a.m., you can begin your day reading the Bible in a year with Jim Lyons and Gene Wells. That transitions into the Rosary and the Angelus. The Rosary is prayed later again at 9.30 p.m., but in between, lots of great programming. We feel honored to have our show followed by Father John Ricardo, who I know has touched many lives in the area. Wonderful. So as well as um, all the programming that happens on the air, Iowa Catholic Radio often puts on events. One event that's coming up that is going to interest some of our listeners, hopefully a lot of our listeners, is the Man Up event coming up on Tuesday, July 10th. Um, That's going to start with a rosary at 520, mass at 545, dinner and a program at 630. That's going to be at the Market One rooftop. So we're not talking about like some just parish hall here. We're talking about a really (laughs) awesome setting. So that's Tuesday, July 10th. You can go to iowacatholicradio.com to learn more about that. Again, this is The Uncommon Good. I'm Katie Patrizio for Bo Bonner and um, also for Bud Marr. Thank you for joining us. The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcast. Just search for The Uncommon Good.